Hello everyone, welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. But you can't spend the night? Not all night. So where'd you move here from anyway? Eastern Shore. Try that. Dad! You didn't. When the cops get here, you have to be good and gone. I can't help you anymore. I know it's not your fault. You were born this way. You ate them. I believed you had to. I don't know why. I smelt you. I didn't know I could do that. I thought I was the only one. I don't want to hurt anybody. Famous last words. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kale Smith. Joining me this week is David Weiser from Film Assessment. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. And David, uh, what movie are we going to be talking about today? Bones and all. Yes, we are talking, finally, finally, like two weeks later, uh, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Uh, we have finally had a chance to see it. Um, and we do have one more person coming in later in the show, uh, but we'll save that, you know, towards the end. But anyway, no, we're finally, we're here for Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. It's uh, good um, and uh, very bony and uh, lots of, um, <coughs> and lots of bones. We'll just say that. Like, it's Bones and All. Um, so, <coughs> oh my goodness. So David, uh what did you we'll start with you what did you think of the movie um so i went into this not really knowing what to expect i wasn't really a fan of the other two luca guadagnino movies that i've seen so far and so uh i'm not really a, a huge fan of him as a filmmaker so i didn't really go into it i i went, kind of went into it more so based on the reaction to the movie less so than my interest in him um and so i knew it was about cannibalism going into this movie but i did not expect it to be quite as graphic as it was and i in a way in in a way it kind of had to be to be a movie about cannibalism but um it definitely grabs you pretty quickly and i think it's a pretty um very engaging narrative even when this just because of how utterly insane a lot of the things you're watching are and how like messed up this girl's life is like you just feel so terrible for her but then you're just kind of like well you kind of <laughs> you got this weird stuff go you got you got issues kid um so it's just like this whole uh whole shabam and i i feel like i'll be able to kind of get into more detail on that when we talk spoilers because kind of the big moment that like really grabbed my attention very early on happens within like the first five to 10 minutes. And that's kind of, oh, okay. 
I, I didn't. I haven't seen the trade. I haven't seen any marketing material. So I went into this almost entirely cold. The only thing I had saw was a poster. Uh, I guess a promo image, and then I knew that it was about cannibalism. Um, so I guess it's knowing that it's in the marketing material, I'm just gonna let it go. If you want to go in cold, maybe uh, skip ahead a little bit or something, um, or you can come back. Uh, whatever you want to do. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I will say this. If you haven't seen it yet, um, I think Dave and I, to a certain extent, we do recommend watching this movie. So, And we are going to just kind of go into full spoilers, especially when we get to um, the next segment uh, as well. So uh, we're just going to – so this is going to be kind of a spoiler. Also, the movie has been out for two weeks, and I believe it's going on VOD either tomorrow or sometime in the uh, – or tomorrow as of this recording i don't um it'll be it'll be out on vod very soon so uh just go and check it out let us know what you think and then come back or you know and come back anyway uh so david let's talk about some uh finger looking good my goodness when so like I, I knew I didn't know that the main girl, the protagonist, was gonna be a cannibal already as of the start of the movie. So, like as the movie's kind of starting, it kind of seemed like kind of this typical like coming of age high school movie is kind of what the stage stage is set for. And so you're like, oh okay, she's just sneaking out to go have a little slumber party, you know, like it's a little shenanigans, but like nothing too crazy. Like and so they're just like paint this one girl's painting her fingernails and she shows uh the main character i honestly don't remember the character's name um the one played by taylor russell uh so taylor russell's character then like kind of looks at him a little bit closer and then she just like bites into those fingers and like does not let up and when she the girl finally gets her fingers like there's like <laughs> okay when Marin, let's go you like these fingers are like you can see like almost to the bone and like these fingers are like bloody as crap and like she was trying to eat this girl's fingers and like i did that it comes so far out of left field and i think that's kind of like one thing i would credit luca for in this movie it's like he does a good job of kind of making you complacent for for these moments of shock to land effectively to where the the moment is like set up by like small details and things like leading up to it um and it's not just done purely for shock value but like the shock of it like lands very effectively because you're it comes very out of left field and you're just like thrown off and you're just like oh wow and so she runs back they gotta um pack up all their belongings and move on to a new place and then you get uh the sense that this is sort of thing has happened multiple times before and then like within like another 10 to 15 minutes you get hit with another shocker when her dad just abandons her that like threw me off too like i was not expecting that i was like when you and you kind of are in like left torn on the situation where you're like, well, he's her father, but then at the same time, it's like, can you imagine having to deal with this? Like, how this girl's like almost seventeen or whatever, like having to deal with this for at least like fifteen, fourteen years. I know they say she started when she was, I guess, a baby or a, a toddler, infant. 
Um, and so he leaves this recording for her, like kind of with just a tape recording as well as like a letter and um, or not a letter, but like a some cash and like a birth certificate. Was it her birth certificate or her mother's birth certificate? I think it's her birth certificate, but it has her mother's information. And like the intention is that she can use it to like kind of track down her mother so she's not completely alone and whatnot. So then she sets off on this journey. And it's kind of interesting because like without the cannibalism aspect, there is kind of this like, I think this is a more conventional narrative than uh, Luca's last two movies. And I think that might be part of why I gravitated towards it a little bit more, even like, even though the cannibalism is kind of off-putting, but it's like meant to be off-putting. So it's like, okay. But yeah, I, I did not expect it to be as graphic as it was. And yeah, it really threw me off <laughs> yeah. in a good way. And well, what's so interesting about the first scene uh, with the girl getting her, fing her fingers eaten uh, is it's like her like it's almost like an it's almost strangely erotic for her like it's like at this or orgasmic a little bit. So you wonder if this is like somehow like some allegory for um, like a sexual awakening, but then you realize this has been a part of her for the re for like since she was a toddler and then you know she did it again to some boy you know it's referenced you know all the different times that you know they've had to run away and whatnot and and what i do love about the first act is we are learning about the world we're learning about it in this kind of way that you know like a stephen king novel would or a mike flanagan movie would where it's very much like you're like all the villains are like real people like they're people that we see on the streets they're people that we run into every day and that's what makes it even scarier and that's what kind of makes when mark rylance's introduction so scary into sully because uh he like that because he's just like some guy like he's just like some random dude with a ponytail and like soft-spoken and but like the malice that his intentions bring is deafening like it's so in you know and and that's why and but what's so but and that's what's so great about the first act is we see that Marin doesn't really love her life like she doesn't really love like what her identity is even though from what we understand this is basically her like this is like the cannibalism it's kind of like I know you didn't see Crimes of the Future, David, but Crimes of the Future has that similar device where there are people that can just eat plastic or uh, or metals or different kind of they 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 don't they don't process they don't like eat like fruits and they don't eat vegetables like normal food like we do. In Crimes of the Future, there is like a group of people that can eat like metal and plastic and whatnot or they're digested, and it's kind of a similar thing here in Bones and All where um they can eat like not just skin and meat um but they can eat bone as well they can eat marrow they can eat like vessels they can they can eat the whole thing they can eat a whole organism from head to toe and that's what's so frightening about it but in this in that kind of idea scares Marin 
it's because in because she doesn't want to be a cannibal, but like there's just too much of that hunger in her. And I, and I love that the movie does explain kind of where it comes from, but it doesn't like go into like this deep lore of like there's a whole race of cannibals and they've just been like walking around supplanting <coughs> it's but you know and of course it, it makes sense for there to not to be like this whole like you know explanation because not even even her mom when they eventually meet like she doesn't even know she's very much she hates her identity even more than Marin does so so and that's the other thing I love about this movie everyone that has kind of accepted the reality that they're a cannibal has either just gone fucking insane or just fucking insane like they just there's no in between like like the they've become either well that's what I should say they've either went insane or they've basically become sociopathic they become detached to humanity and Marin is trying to keep that and also trying to keep it within Timothy Chalamet's character, Lee. And I feel like that's kind of like the the love story. That's where the love story kind of does come in. Is like You have these two characters that are not as secure with the identity of being a cannibal, but they want to be with each other. And that's what attracts them, is that they are trying to find out more about their identity. They're trying to find out more about where does this trait come from and um and the more they just like have accepted that there's no real good reason they just kind of fall in love and they just realize they should just make a pack to just be together and then they'll just like help each other out when there's a hunger or a thirst or whatever you want to call it so, um, but I mean, there is disturbing imagery. It is gory, as David is massively implied. Uh, and I mean, and there's just inc a lot in there. Um, and we'll kind of get more into the thesis later of what I think the movie's about, but I don't want to take too much away from David. So, David, what about you? What are some other things, uh, other scenes or things you want to talk about with Bones and all? So kind of going back to the Mark Rylance of it all, like, when he first appears, like, I think one thing that, like, he kind of felt like, like, kind of like a Fagin type of character to me, where he's kind of like, well, I guess it's a little different because he doesn't really have, like, an entourage of uh, cannibals, but kind of like... He's this older figure who's, like, kind of got, like, he's a little menacing, but he's also kind of got, like, a little bit of a magnetism to him as well. Like, he he really raises, he, he, would, he like, um, makes her interest, he piques her interest in, like, when he's, like, kind of, like, telling her that he could smell her from, like, block away or whatever. And, like, it's, like, you think about that and you're, like, that's really unnerving and creepy, but it's also kind of, like, wait, so you're a cannibal, too? And, like, you, what, you can help me out? Like, what's going on here? And he's, like, oh, well, we don't eat our own kind. So, it like, kind of gives you, like, this sense of security, almost, even rules. though you're, you're kind of on edge. Like, he has his, yeah, he has rules and very much, like, a structure in place. And then it kind of, like, as he 
makes her comfortable, he then like does like does a total one eighty and puts her on edge again by like re- like when they go back to that house that you you're just assuming it's his, but he he never outright says that he kind of dances around the question I think when she asks the first time until she discovers the the older woman that uh, like elderly woman that's like laying on the floor dying and yeah, she had a stroke. <laughs> having a stroke and as she's like she kind of figures out what's going on and she's kind of left a little uneasy but like she's like well I do have these hunger like I can at least take advantage of this opportunity you know but then like okay I'm gonna get out of here like I I this guy is like freaking me out and then like when she gets to the bus stop like you think you assume like even if he did follow her like you think like oh well he wouldn't be able to catch up to her because she like had a head start and like even with but like yeah yeah and then he's there at the bus station as she's in the bus leaving and you're just like left like oh gosh what's going on here and then like and he's kind of heart like heartbroken slash pissed about it yeah and then, like, I don't want to, like, jump too far to, like, his next subsequent appearances. Um, but, like, if there's one thing I can say about his character is that, like, I think the Rylance's performance is very interesting. And there's, like, a lot of potential there with the character. But I think he was kind of, like, underutilized. Like, where you know, he, he's probably in, like, probably has, like, 20 minutes of screen time total, probably. Maybe even less than that. Um but like the the character is pretty interesting but like they don't explore him enough i would say like it felt like kind of a little underwritten um and mike Ryl- mark rylance's performance kind of overcompensated for that in my opinion well with rylance it's such a creepy performance and it's also great for rylance because he's just played like these kind of like grandfatherly like nice i mean you know i mean he's the big friendly giant you know um you know it's spielberg's big friendly bfg so he like he has this like you know nice calming presence and when you first see him it is nice and calming i mean and he does have rules you feel like this is a guy that's done this long enough he has his regimen but then sinisterly it's still like even with the rules he has it's still involving people getting hurt it's still involving a lot like it's still involving you know a person dying it's still involved like there's other people getting hurt like there's still a detached humanity to the whole thing so and even more so he's creepier than any other person they encounter um than than Lee and Marin encounter because he's persistent and that's what makes his second appearance even more creepy when he does pop up again (coughs) because he's been because in that second appearance like he's been following her and yeah um so it, it, it is such a great performance because he, like is almost like a little bit of like a Stephen King villain where it's like he's a little bit stereotypical stereotypical um like you kind of feel like he's playing it like a slow not I don't want to say 
Like he's playing it kind of like, you know, someone who's mentally uh, inert. So, and so he, so, and so in that regard, he's caught, so in that regard, you know, it, like, it feels like a Stephen King villain. It feels just, it just feels like, you know, something you would see out of, like, a Stephen King adaptation. And then on top of that, what, uh, and then kind of moving forward, when she does meet Lee, the story does change. Like, it, it lightens up, like, literally. <coughs> and, like, things start to turn around. They do have one incident where they run into uh, Michael Stahlberg and David Gordon Green, the director of Halloween Kills and Ends in 2018. Uh, so, you know, and they're not sharing the best stories from the Halloween, you know, franchise, unfortunately. But, yeah, I, I but I do love the scene where Stolberg and Gordon Green, they're there. And you just see another level of dehumanization. Like, these people have also gone insane. And even more so, David Gordon Green's not even a real cannibal, but he still loves the dehumanization. He loves the power it gives him, which is even creepier. Yeah. Uh, I love that scene as well. Like, uh, Stuhlbarg just had a really great presence in that scene when he shows up. And, like, the... I, I, yeah, I was I was gonna say it's a little similar to Rylance, where I kind of wish there was more of him, but at the same time, like I don't really know how else you would utilize that character. Um, but like, so I think it works for the purpose that it's it's meant to. Um, but yeah, that that scene left me on edge, and then even like Chalamet, um, even though I kind of figured he would also be a cannibal just based on like the poster, it kind of looked like it was like some sort of like dystopian young adult like. Um, teen romance type of movie um and uh so it still kind of took me off guard like to see he was also a cannibal like the way it's revealed where it's like they're in this like convenience store or grocery store there's this um drunk man like harassing this young woman and you see that like Lee kind of like takes charge and is kind of like the little uh like the savior in that situation I guess you would say and where he like kind of um distracts the man and like takes takes his hat or whatever i don't remember whose hat but he takes something from the man and like runs out the store for the man to chase him just to like get him to stop harassing this poor woman and then like he obviously notices that Marin is like shoplifting and doesn't like do anything or say anything about it yeah and then he goes and eats the guy as we're revealed when Marin leaves the store and then they just kind of then they become friends and that's where they their journey they agree to like go travel together he takes her to where he grew up um and they go like we we kind of get like hints of his backstory which is pretty intriguing um and then they just kind of set off on their journey and then like when she finally gets that craving and he has to seduce a guy in order to like be like okay i found this guy who's a perfect victim and she seduced they seduce this guy they kill him eat him whatever then they go to like check out his address which is what we had seen previously with the that other victim from the convenience store the drunk guy um when they went to his they what he does is when he like kill what once he has a victim 
and they're disposed of <laughs> then they head to their residence to like kind of see if there's anything else of value they can take or whatever um, so, or so, even to stay there for a couple days yeah and so when they do that with this guy like they go and they fake like they're trying to see if there's someone inside the house and they get close and they see like oh this guy was married and he had a kid and then Marin kind of starts feeling like, oh, well, even though she's not really ever fully embraced, like, the whole cannibal thing, it's just kind of, she like... She never does. It's her inner nature. She This is kind of, like, the first time where it feels like she has, like, a moral quandary about it. Like, uh, when she bites the girl's finger, it doesn't really feel like there's much remorse. Or, like, it's more like, okay, I ruined this opportunity to have a friend. Like, maybe not so much, like, I feel bad for eating this girl's finger. Or even, like, when she eats the dead, the the dead old elderly lady, like, with uh, the other guy. It's more like she leaves because she's creeped out by the guy. And not so much, like, oh, I feel bad about doing this. So this is kind of their first moment seeing her have some remorse about uh, eating another person. And it's, like, justifiably so. <laughs> So I, I thought that was pretty interesting setup to kind of give her a little more dimension in terms of like, because like that first act, like while there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, her as a character, she doesn't really feel like she is grappling too much with like the uh, her own identity in a sense, like it doesn't really feel like she's struggling with being a cannibal. So for her to like finally come to a place where she is at odds with herself like and having to deal with that like that's where it kind of kicks off like the more interesting character arc for her and then while this is happening lee is falling for Mar- um marin you know so much so that i mean when she leaves him after the i think it's the when the scene where they visit uh, her mom in the mental asylum, you know, and she and Marin makes the decision to leave him, leave the cash that they have stolen or, or whatever, um, and go on her own, you know, to just like to not to not to disassociate herself with Lee from Lee. I mean, he has his own visions about her, and it's. <sighs> it's so you know and it, it you know i mean it's a very like she he's falling in love and she's to, like having to go on and then they and and okay so i'm kind of blanking um on the movie a little bit so when do they what why does she get back together in the third act like why do they get back together do you remember she just kind of misses him i think and oh, that's she it? like calls she misses him, and I think she, because she knows where his sister is, so she goes and visits the sister, and then like kind of she kind of did get like I guess like a little bit of an update on what's going on with him, and then she kind of just goes out to where he's at some campsite or something, right. and they just kind of reconnect, and from there they're good. Um, then I think it like flash forwards like almost a year, or something like that. Um, um, so it like fast forwards a year 
um, or there's like a flash forward of approximately a year or something like that. And they've kind of like established this new life together. But like just to backtrack a little bit, because we kind of skipped over the visiting the mom and the asylum thing. I just because I want to touch on that, because that was another one of like the big moments in the movie that took me off guard. Um, and also when she sees Mark Rylance again, uh, like those kind of two things that happen in between all of this that I just want to touch oh, on them. Pretty... we forgot about Jessica Harper. We forgot about the grandma scene. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she follows the birth certificate. They f- discover where her she meets her mother's mother, her grand- her grandmother, but it's like we learned it's like her adopted. So her, her mother was adopted, and so it's her adopted grandmother, uh, however that works. Um, so Right, right from the moment that you, she meets her, you definitely get the sense that the grandmother is very guarded, and there's something going on there. And like it's alluded to throughout the movie and the recordings that her father leaves her, as well as like kind of the conversation she and her fa- father has, is that there was more going on with her mother than we're led to believe because she doesn't really have any memory of her. And so you're kind of, it's kind of left in the dark, but like, it's kind of like slightly implied that the mother was also a cannibal too. And that's like eventually confirmed. But um, when she's talking to the, to the grandmother, uh, adopted mother, whatever you want to call her, uh, she kind of starts telling her when she starts off, she kind of like speaks of, uh, Marin's mother as though she's gone but like in like a very vague sense where it's like she's not very too specific about like what her fate was and so as they're talking and she finally Marin finally kind of like just is very straightforward and like kind of asks if her mom was a cannibal too then she's like but like and when she asks that the grandma's like, oh, get out of here, like, leave, and, like, by the way, she's not dead, like, she's in this asylum, and so she goes to visit her mother to kind of figure out what's going on, not knowing what to expect, um, the nurse kind of takes her in there, she's like, oh, well, she's on her medicine right now, she may not be very aware of you, um, she's gotten a lot better since she came here, blah, 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 blah. And then we see the mother has no arms or well, like no hand, I guess like she's missing, like, yes, it's kind of, she's kind of eat. It's, well, it's not told right away, but uh, like, like expl- it, it's kind of like slightly implied. And then it's like very uh, explicitly addressed, but like her mother had eaten like her whole forearm and hands so she's just got kind of up to her elbow like little nubs she's got yeah and so like you're you're seeing this and wondering what's going on and the mother seems like a little kind of like um kind of like like very detached from reality i guess would be a good way to say it and you know going into a mental asylum that maybe that's kind of something you might come across and then uh the nurse brings uh, Marin a letter from her mother to read. And as she's reading the letter, she's like kind of towards the end of it. The mother writes something like, and now that you're here, I can make sure you don't become like me. Or I, I don't remember the exact terminology, but it's something along those lines. 
Um, and then she like just all of a sudden like this is like the big like jump scare moment in the movie. She just like lunges at her and tries to eat her own daughter, and you're just like, oh crap! And then Marion like obviously leaves and is like taken like she's skittish, and she just wants to get the hell out of there. So then once she abandons Lee, I think, or it's somewhere around this point in time. She goes to. It's after this, yeah. She goes to some market, I guess, and uh, Mark Rylance's character drives by in a van, and you're like, "Wait, this dude's been tracking her throughout the course of this entire journey. Like, that's mad creepy." <laughs> and then, like, as he kind of yeah. like approaching her, and is very feels like very hurt and um, kind of rejected by her, and it's like kind of he's not quite lashing out yet but he's like about to as she kind of further pushes him away um and he's kind of like trying to like be a friendly presence to her be like hey you should come with me blah 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 but then like his intentions seem so um sketchy and so obviously she's kind of like tells him off whatever and like it's like i'm not coming with you and then he gets all pissed off and starts screaming at her and then he just takes off in his van and you just figure, okay, I, I guess that's the end of that. But that doesn't really feel like a proper resolution to the character. So I wonder what's coming. And then fast forward through all the other stuff we talked about. And she's with Lee. They start a new life together. She's working at a library. She comes back to their apartment uh, and the door is open. It kind of feels like a similar situation to when her father left her where there's like a bag on the bed and stuff and like the the way that it's framed and shot and everything is set up like it it very much feels like the same kind of thing so you go into that scene like you're like okay i guess lee left her too um and then suddenly mark rylance pops out of nowhere and like has a whole whole basically holding a knife to her throat i think and like pushes her in the bed on it's on top of her and it's this very creepy subtext of like does this dude is he gonna like rape her like what's going on here like he's obviously very um hurt and uh very upset over what she's done to him which i mean is ultimately pretty inconsequential but um yeah yeah so that's going on and then Lee comes back and you can see it kind of in the background as he's doing this. And he has some paper bag or something, throws it over the guy's head. They like together, they kind of wrangle him over to the bathtub and they suffocate him in there. And all the while he's got his knife, he's like stabbing into um, Lee and they're just like trying to deal with it. And it kind of just seems like, okay, they've dealt with the problem at hand this is this is the end happily ever after nope 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 <laughs> we find out that lee was kind of mortally stabbed and is bleeding out and so then he asks Marin to eat him bones and all and that's the end of the movie and we end with a trent reznor song uh that's very devastating and very like really well done and really well perfect for the moment um but when you listen to the track on its own it's kind of like weird that it stops like three different times so but yeah um so yeah i mean the ending for me is 
great slash confusing because like it's a good resolution like they <clears throat> they kill Mark Rylance uh, they subdue him but he's mortally well I mean he's stabbed but they can't go to the hospital because <clears throat> they just killed Mark Rylance so in order and on top of that they're cannibals so that are on the run so they can't just they can't they don't they don't have the power to really go to the hospital and not get like police involved so uh timothy so lee takes the ultimate sacrifice and says just eat me bones and all just eat both of us bone well actually both of us bones and all so that way you can clean the apartment you can discard the evidence of us existing. You know. So you can run away. Uh, so for me. That's what I loved about the film. Is it's. So. And I do love the ending. As much as a heartbreaker as it is. But in terms of like. Subtext of what does it. Like what is the movie actually saying. Because it's because I, I, we forgot to mention earlier, the movie is set in the eighties, so you're never so you're trying to deconstruct the movie too, maybe as it's going along, and trying to understand like what is the context here, um, and that's kind of like the problem with the movie, is that you're not 100% sure, you're not 100% clued in on what the context is supposed to be. So, and yeah, so that's, for me, like, that's how I feel about the movie. Um, you you get this great ending, but you're still not 100% sure what it all adds up to. Uh, and it is tragic. You do flash back to the moment when they're in Nebraska and they're just looking into each other you know, what, what What the poster really is. What the poster is. And you're just given that symbolism and then it ends. So, yeah. Alright, so, yeah. Okay, uh, David, is there any more you want to say on Bones and All before we uh, move on to the next segment? That's kind of all I got. Um, it's hard for me to say I recommend this movie because it def- very much depends on your personal, um, I guess, like preference in terms of violence and gore and graphic, like what you can stomach, I think very much determines whether you should see this movie or not. Um, if you think you can stomach watching someone eat another human and the blood and gore associated with that, and you think this sounds like an interesting narrative, I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. If you don't think you could stomach it, then I would pass. Not so much because of the quality of the movie, but just because you're going to have to face that a lot throughout the runtime. So um, that's why I would add that little caveat there. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I I agree. Um, although to me, I didn't feel the violence was. I'll say this: the violence is not exploitative. It is visceral. Yeah, it's not so much violence as it is um, gore. The nature yeah. of it. Yeah, that that 
the nature, the visceral, the visceralness of it. If you can stomach it, no pun intended, uh, then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, go watch this movie. And it is an actually good, I think to me it's a good love story. But I do agree, like, this was one of the more uh, trickier Guadagnina movies. So, yeah. All right. So, David, um, where can the good people find you? And um, do you have anything to promote? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Weissner underscore David. Um, if that goes down. I mean, I've kind of been saying that the last few podcasts, and it seems like Twitter's fine for the most part. Um, so, who knows? Uh, I created a Hive account. It's just my name, David Weiser. And then I'm also on Instagram at Weiser underscore David. And then you can check out my blog for older movie reviews. Film Assessment is the name of that. Um, I might be writing a review of Fablemans over there soon. And then I am decided I'm going to um, catch back up on, I'm going to put out a best of 2020 and 2021. I was almost finished drafting that and kind of just left it on the back burner for a little bit. So I'll be putting that out sometime before the end of the year. So that way I can do a best of 2022 and not feel like there's this weird gap there. And so that's my goal for the blog for the remainder of the year. Um, I do want to kind of get back into every once in a while writing a review for a movie that I really like, like the Fablemans. Um, but we'll see where that goes. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, link will be in the description below. Um, and yeah, David, wish you the best of luck, really. Um, we'd love to see you writing again, uh, my friend. Would love to see you write. Um, okay, so we are now going to move on to the next segment with the, uh, with the other uh, co-host. Uh, and the other co-host is Alfie Amaya. I came looking for you. I smelled you. And you can smell me half a mile away. Can you do that? Not that far. I got rules. Never, never, ever ate an eater. I thought you might be hungry. For hens? No. Who lives here? There's someone dead up there. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Youth Critic Podcast. We are here uh, with Alfie Amaya um, from the Movie Ranking Space. Hi, thanks for having me, Kale. All right. And uh, in Alfie, we are back. We're talking about Bones and All, Luca Guadagnino's new movie. Um, and just to kind of jump into it real fast. Um, what did you, what were your, like, overall, like, thoughts, or not, what was your, like, first thoughts on Luca Guadagnino's uh, Bones and All? Like, set the, set the stage for us a little bit. Yeah, the, the first thoughts I had when I came out of the screening was that it did remind me a lot of, of other movies, but, you know, not, not like in a derogatory way, but there were so many not callbacks or Easter eggs to them, but it's also, I guess you could, you could say it's some kind of essence of others work that I really, really appreciated. And, um, also he, it is a, it might not seem, um, difficult, but this, I think the, the act of writing this movie was probably really hard because it's so difficult to kind of blend something as polar opposites, you know, as horror and romance and kind of doing it kind of seamlessly like they did in, in Bones. 
Right, and and to me, like what I was struck by with Bones and All was that it is this. It's a movie where it's not just that it's a horror romance. It's a movie where the characters they're a part of the, they're a part of the problem. They are cannibals in their own sense, but they don't love being cannibals, and they don't know how to change their nature. But every opportunity. Every time they see or meet another person that's like them, that's had these like years of years of experience, um, they have either gone insane or have completely gone insane. Uh, or, or sociopath, excuse me. Yeah. So, so that was to me like the most striking thing is that these people, they understand who they are, but they are afraid of what they will become if they continue to live out this life. Yes. Uh, so, so to me, like that was the most striking thing about it is like the the striking conflict of how do we resolve this, and uh, to kind of go in spoilers, they don't really do. They never. They kind of just try and work around it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just something. I mean, um, I was speaking um, to a friend who who watched yeah. it um, a couple days ago. Um, and I mean, of course, there's always there, there's a lot of ways to like interpret what's going on. Um, like, for example, I thought like what I brought out of the movie is that um, of course, there's a lot of parallels between you know uh, like being a queer person, or uh, but also a friend of mine who watched it, he kind of saw it as a metaphor for addiction, and you know it 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 was a very difficult period uh, in time where the movie said because you know there's the um, there's the rise of the, um, uh, you know, of, of riots about, uh, you know, about the LGBT community or what was going on at the time. There was the opioid crisis, and um, and also the uh, and the movie deals with that in in, in its own way because um, it also, you know, everything when it comes to, uh, it, it did make the most of the mid Midwest kind of setting because um, also of course talking about broken homes and what was going on with both Taylor Russell's character and, and Chalamet's character. Um, and yeah, I think it does have that many interpretations. I think it's very great. Yeah. And that's the one thing I was kind of pining for was, was like, this is a move, like it's a movie about the toxicity that rises from those things that you're talking about, like addiction and, um and you know that you brought up the opioid crisis like that was kind of and also it's very important to know that this movie was set in the 80s like it's set in 87 or 88 during of course to, to give context to the viewer during you know the AIDS epidemic but also there was this whole um you know not just the not just another, not just like the other queer re- revolution or the gay revolution, but there was this like like need for, like to have to be seen. There was this need to be, you know, their voice to be heard and to be identified. So to watch a movie that really kind of spoke uh, to these characters who are struggling with identity and struggling with in a in a world where they they definitely are where they definitely feel like they're the problem. They feel like they are, you know, the consequence of, of, of bad, you know, 
of bad parenting or bad you know they they feel like they, they themselves i like i was or they i was more struck by that like these are not these are good people stuck in a really trying situation and they're constantly trying to fix it but they can't ever escape it they can't ever escape who they are and to me i felt like that was to me the more powerful story and then on top of that they fall in love while trying to escape it and but then everything still catches up with them eventually yeah i mean I, there's a so it's like a, there's a yeah one of my favorite ahead. scenes of the movie is the scene right after uh marin visits her mom um at the hospice where um kind of just kind of a, a in a shock state of what happened and the, there's that scene between her and and Shalme where she's kind of telling him that I don't I don't want to be like her I'm not gonna be her and he tells her that the only way of leaving uh, how how they are is that they either eat or they off themselves or they lock themselves up like like uh, Marin's mom and that moment of realization uh, that Marin has that he that because she's really upset but she realizes in that moment that that's true and the, all, the, all those scenes coming after that where she escapes uh, well not escape but she leaves Lee behind and all that development that she has that to come from that upsetting kind of state of mind to come into an acceptance to be you know well this is the life that we have and we kind of have to make the most of it even though you know we have this obstacle that other people don't have but you know you just gotta make the best of that absolutely and and more so in the film you know they and like we mentioned earlier they meet other characters like michael stahlberg's character like mark ryland's character and david gordon green's character as well that are just like them but they are they you feel that they have either lost their mind to or well, maybe not lose their mind they've lost their humanity to like their to their to their identity to confer to confirm their identity excuse me but they have also um, what is what's but they've also they've also like they've lost all sense of humanity but also lost the sense of themselves they've lost anything that you know would actually allow them to look at other people as human beings not just as food so yeah or they or they met Chloe Savani who's just like locked themselves up driving themselves nuts over the guilt of what they've become. Yeah. Exactly. And yes, I do think the movie so. um it does give a very compelling uh argument that these people in this situation uh we have Marin and Lee who are kind of, you know, going to this acceptance road for them to, you know, kind of just be together and kind of do the best they can because they're good people. Uh you that's why it really resonates uh very well because you know that marilyn and lee are really good people and just want them to be you know happy together but then we have michael stolberg's character then gordon green and mark rylands who they kind of their characters are you know kind of placed in the same situation as them but they kind of take like a more nihilistic road in which they're just like you know life sucks and 
I'm just gonna go ahead and just be insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they don't have any rules about what they do, so it makes it even more dangerous. Like, would would they eat Lee and Marin if they stayed with them long enough, or like th those kind of things? So, yeah, it there's danger for them even meeting people with their like with the ability that they have, like the ability to eat bones and all. So, yeah. Yeah, and also, um, as I mentioned, I think it, it really reminded me of uh, of other movies. Of course, there's people with reviewers who have already compared it to Backlands or Near Dark, or um, it did remind me, reminded me a lot as well, kind of a blend between like Before Sunrise and Natural Burn Killers. But the movie that I really, really resonated in my mind when I was watching it was actually Little Children, uh, the Todd Field movie, uh, because... Um, it really, I, I do think Mark Ryland's character, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people who are like, you know, he's really bad in the movie and he's terrible, but I thought he was, he did exactly what he had to do with the character and I thought his performance was great and he really, it really reminded me of Jackie Haley's character in Little Children because he kind of um, brings this really humanity to something that is really horrible about with her characters and this kind of And also, uh, there's always, um, there's a lot, for example, when it comes to uh, in, just talking about those two movies, because uh, well, really about the directors, for example, if you're coming with Guadagnino or Ted Field together, uh, there's always something that they do, which they're their movies are very non-judgmental, as in, you know, they bring these characters into this very horrible situation or, or they're having them horrible traits, but it still has, their movies have this very middle point where you're like, you know, you can understand what's going on with them and to why, they kind of give you some kind of understanding why they're doing what they're doing without being, uh, you know, kind of gratuitous under actions and still not giving them you know um kind of em any kind of empathy just kind of like giving you the facts about their characters for them to be you know who they are and what they're doing but it's just kind of like on a little of explanation of what's going on so that's why it, it really reminded me of those movies because um they're not there's this lack of judgment with, with the filmmaking and the screenplays that's uh, that's just great. And even though, you know, uh, when it comes, let's for example, Little Children with the characters of Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson, who are, of course, they have their families and they're kind of, you know, cheating on their partners and things like that. Um, you know, it's something that it, it looks bad upon um, upon them, uh, but still there. Uh, and the same happens with Lee and Marin. Because, of course, you know, they're in this situation where they have to eat people, which is, uh, of course, morally wrong. But the film still gives you that kind of explanation and kind of tries to, tries to uh, give you a concept of understanding of their actions, even though, you, of course, you're not really agreeing with what they're doing. 
Absolutely. And <coughs> absolutely. And I, and I kind of love that. It's a daring way to approach this movie because on one hand, I can see like the YA typical like story of this, of becoming like the, the blockbuster kind of way of where they find out like the, this, you know, all this lore of cannibals and whatnot. And, and then they find like a cure or they find like some way to remedy their cannibalism or whatever. Um, or they just, you know, like become cannibals and they make, and the movie makes it okay that they do it. But the movie always like never makes you feel comfortable about what you're seeing. Like the movie never, it's always on a risk. Like everything is very much like, no, this was a, person even when uh mark rylance you know says this won't you know when they are in the first house when russell and rylance are in the first house and they go up and they see this woman who's having her stroke and she's dying um and they're planning to eat her like there's still you know when they are eating her there's still this humanity there's still like look at what nino shows that this was a person like they're just eating like this wasn't just you know uh, a mercifully merciful merciful killing. This is still a person who they're eating. You know, this is some person who had a lot. Yeah, and I really and I feel like that's such an important mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I thought it was really it was really great that ahead, he sorry. decided to show her show her alive at first. That, um, you know, and Mark Rylance coming in and saying that, you know, I'm not going to kill her. She's going to die anyway. But still, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's a, a very compelling argument from his side. But um, still, it, it's very that's very powerful coming after, you know, the next morning when they're eating this woman. And because it, it's it's it, it gives you that creepiness because you, you just saw this woman alive like 20 minutes ago and now they're eating her and um it still gives you that um kind of strange feeling because then you see marin as well eating her um and you kind of it kind of settles down that you know she's really doesn't have a choice to just do that and it's very it's just really 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 sad um about that about her character Absolutely. And I love Guadagnino's approach to this. And it never, nothing ever feels easy. Nothing ever, like it just, like it never is easy for Lee and Mary. Like even when they kill the one guy at the, the fair, at the, you know, the attraction or whatever, um, you know, and he's kind of being like a, he's kind of being a dick. And, and Lee's kind of whole mantra is like to eat the dicks if you will, eat or eat the assholes, if you will. Um, and when they go, you know, and when they go back to their house, because each victim Lee does, each victim Lee eats or consumes, that he goes back to their house, picks through their valuables, lives there for a couple days or whatever, and then goes on to the next, you know, goes on to the next life, goes, goes back on driving. When they turn back around to get, go to the other guy, the guy had a family, and Marin is reminded again, like why her, 
of need to eat is so again even more in a more harshly way like why her need to eat is so it's such a bad thing and it, I kind and I kind of love it that Guadagnino is constantly putting the characters in a situation where they think it's okay to eat and then they realize no this was never an okay thing to do so and that's what makes the third act all the more compelling when they try to stop. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a... I think that scene is very important when they do come back to this man's house and that they realize that he has a family, he has a wife, he has kids. And, uh, and I think it, it makes you... I feel bad for Lee and Marin because, um, I mean, Lee says that there is no way that we would know this, and I th and he's right because I mean, after all, after all, he kind of recipro reciprocated Lee in into that flirting, and then of he's like cheating sh on her, on her, on his wife that Lee didn't know that he had, and he wasn't. He also mentioned that he wasn't wedding, uh, um, he wasn't wearing a, a wedding ring. Uh, so it's a uh, that that moment is a really weird space of of kind of them realizing that even though, you know, even if these per people, they're eating their dicks or assholes or whatever, it's not, that doesn't make it right still. And it, it's a, it's a very great realization that he has. And I think what Adina did um, manage that very well throughout, even throughout the whole movie, the kind of moral compass of Marin and Lee to see what they're, uh, they're doing, you know, kind of how they react to this situation in which they really don't have any other choice. Right. Absolutely. And, and it is interesting, and it is interesting when Marin does leave uh, Lee uh, and immediately you find out Mark Rylance has been following her the whole time. Uh Again, adding even more to the creep level. I love that Rylance... Uh, I love Rylance's performance as well. I actually think that is the most standout thing of the movie, is that Rylance turns into... Because Rylance is kind of known as, like, this grandpa who's all, like, always in... Um, who's in, like, the B the BFG and Bridge of Spies. Like, he's this nice, cuddly, you know, warm, cuddly guy. He's in Dunkirk. Um, and here... He's, and here, he, I mean, he's the he's like the Stephen King villain you never want to meet. So, uh, like, he's a so he's just a great antagonist, and he follows the, the and he follows Marin all the way through this movie, and he appears right at the perfect time in each act of the story. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so do you want to get? Do you want to take on the third act or the last act of the movie? Uh, yes, go ahead. Oh, I mean, like, do you want to? Oh, okay. I was like, do you want to talk about it? Okay. Okay. Uh, well, the third act. I mean, of course, I think it's very heartbreaking. But um, 
of course, I think it's it's still kind of coming up with the theme of the movie because, you know, when it comes to this, uh, whatever, what Gino was trying to express through, you know, about queer people or about addiction, um, still it kind of gives you that reminder that it doesn't really end up really being happy all the time uh, or for people to have these happy endings. And it's it's hard, but it's something that um, I think Guadagnino does very well here for us to kind of accept that as an audience. And and of course, and that scene between Mark Rylance and Taylor Russell at the end, um, it's so horrible. You kind of, I think, you, I, I mean, myself, I, I was just cringing my, in my seat because I didn't know what was going to happen. And if, I guess I didn't want, of course, for him to do something to Marin or whether or whatever, because I didn't know what he was going to do to her. And that's kind of what kept me on the edge of my seat, because I was like, uh, what am I going to watch right now? This is, you know, insane. Uh, and that's uh, that whole sequence between when they try to kill um, Mark Rylance uh, is so it's so beautifully shot, which is uh, shocking because it's still, you know, it's a very violent scene and that comes throughout the, that whole sequence. But it's so, it's so expertly directed and shot that it's it, it kind of, really it's an amalgamation of what the whole movie is at the end. You're absolutely right because, I mean, Rylance's death is extremely graphic, but it's so... You're absolutely right. It's so graphic, but it's so beautiful. And, you know, it encapsulates the love story, too, because you find out that Lee has been mortally stabbed. Or <clears throat> So, and they can't go to the hospital because now, because if they do, they have to go explain, you know, they have to explain everything with Rylance. So, it is this tragic ending of these two people. They finally find like a peace and inner peace and the happiness and they can, you know, take care of each other, uh, as a couple and almost like work themselves out of like a withdrawal, if you will, uh, of their, of their addiction. And it's just all rudely interrupted. Like it, it's the cycle going to continue again because Marin does not have that space anymore as she, you know, now has to eat you know she now has to eat her lover and her lover lee and uh rylance she has to eat them all like bones and all to you know in order to hide their existence to hide their existence and to hide the murder to hide the crimes they've committed so she will always be so it's this sad ending and when we flash mm -hmm. back to when they were in Nebraska and they have that one like what's what's now considered the poster moment uh you know where they are gonna where they you know decide to mm -hmm. do this they decide to try and live you know in in Ohio it's it, it's so sad it's in incredibly sad and you have Trent Reznor's song like playing over it and being this sad melody so yeah no the movie works it's just the movie mm -hmm. works and I do it works but I will also say of the three Luca Guadagnino movies I've seen uh which are Call Me By Your Name Suspiria and um 
uh, this one, Bones and All, excuse me, uh, this was my least favorite. Like, this was just my, like, kind of least favorite. Yeah, I think... And I should, um, and I really want, and I can't wait to rewatch it. I know it just came... Yeah, go ahead. Yes, and... Yes, I think uh, I agree. I do good. like this movie a lot more than A Bigger Splash. Um, because I, I thought it was very good, but still, I do think Bones and All is better. But um, it kind of really came down to that final moment because uh, at the end of Bones and All, when, um, you know, Marin's eating Lee and then the Trent Reznor song comes in and it's kind of... Um, I did love that moment, but I didn't feel it was as powerful as, for example, in Suspiria when... The Tom York song comes in and, uh, you know, Dakota Johnson, she opens her chest um, and we see her heart while uh, Tom York's song is like yeah. soaring in the background. Yeah, that when she opens her, her chest and we see her heart, that that's an incredible moment. And of course, at the end of Call Me By Your Name, when um, Elio is by the fire and then you hear Sylvia Stevens' song kind of coming on in the Around while the credits are rolling, I didn't think the end of this movie was as powerful as those two moments. Yeah, and and yeah, and I and I think it's only just because the movie is because the problem with the movie too is it's also trying to be like a Gus Van Sant, like an early Gus Van Sant movie, like My Private Idaho. Um. Where it's very much like it's very much like you know, mm-hmm. shot and edited like avant garde like and and to some people and to some you know degree it kind of does put you at a distance uh, the way it's shot and it's the way it's style because this movie kind of feels like if Catherine Bigelow Gus Van Sant like made a movie together um, yes and, yes exactly because this movie also echoes like near dark as well. Yes, uh, it did remind me a lot of so, Near Dark. As well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and it, and it's very difficult because you see, you know, uh, it, if so, it, if you have yeah. this, yes, cause if you have some, for example, this concept of doing, you know, my uh, like a mixture of my own private Idaho and Near Dark, um, it's kind of comes in, you know, it's it's something very difficult to pull off, and I think. Uh, what you know that's that's what I really love about his work is that because he he always uh, his films don't really seem as ambitious as they are but they really they really really are and um, also uh, I do love that same thing that you watch this movie and you can tell that it is from the same director that did Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria um, which was when Suspiria came out it was kind of a I, I guess kind of a whiplash moment because um I mean, they just came, they came out like a year a year apart, um, and you know, are two they're two totally different movies. But now that Bontanol is here, you kind of feel, you know, that yes, this all these three movies are made by the same person. Well, you feel like you have a little bit of a trilogy now, like you have this like trilogy of like the first one is the romance the. The one that sweeps you and, and sweeps you off your, off your feet and, and, and entices you in, and then you have the the darker second movie, and then you have the third movie that marries everything together, marries everything from the first two movies together uh, into one movie, and it's and it's 
And yeah, and you feel it. Excuse me. And you feel it all the way through. And it, and it kind of mm-hmm. makes me curious now for the Zendaya movie he's going to direct, or he's already directed, but will release next year. Like, I'm curious, like, what does that movie even look like? Because it's, it's supposed to be like a, like a romantic sports comedy. Like, I'm curious, like, now, what what does that look like through Luca Guadagnino's lens? So, um... So, yeah, I mean, no, I'm, I'm always interested in Luca Guadagnino, like, because he really blew my head away with Call Me By Your Name, and, uh, like... And and that's why like on the movie ranking spaces like I keep bringing up Call Me by Your Name on so many like of the topics we keep because that movie just is like yeah it is one of the best of that genre it's one of the best of for this topic because it just is like it is like Call Me by Your Name is a great movie and then uh, and then I just love Suspiria it's just like it never comes up it just doesn't come up often because it's such its own thing. Uh, and then this one is very much like that where it's it's so much its own thing like I don't know how like I don't I don't know when uh, that's going to be on a bunch of people I don't know when that's going to be on a bunch of people's lists and and I'm curious when it does, will show up So we mentioned Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score. Uh, what did you think of it? Um, um, I think uh, I don't think this is as uh, difficult as it is for different uh, of his work, but I re- I really like that. Even though there's always, um, it- it's very. It's very different from other works that they have done, but um, um, yeah, I I don't think it's one of my favorites from them, but they always do a great work, and I really like the song that they did for the movie. Um, and I think it worked, and, and it, it did remind me <laughs> when I was when when I was watching the movie when kind of there was some scenes where there's like this sweeping score uh, that I really liked when he was mixing with the movie. And it reminded me a lot of the score for Brokeback Mountain. And uh, and then I, I was thinking about that connection. And I don't know if there if there's a, any connection between, you know, the if Trent Rasser and Atticus Ross were any way, in any way inspired by the score of Brokeback Mountain, considering the, the topics. Uh, but yeah, I... I that's what it reminded me of, and I and that's when I kind of gave me a little bit more, uh, like you know, this is uh, this this is actually a great score. <clears throat> well, let me see. Um, let me see who did the score for Brokeback Mountain. Uh, do you remember? Oh, Gustavo's. Yes. Yes, Gustavo Santolaya. <laughs> um, he actually worked. He also worked. Um, he also did the score for The Last of Us video games, and I think he's working on the show. And uh, yeah, he did the score for Bob Mount, and I think he won the Oscar for original score. Uh, it is. It is a wonderful score. Yeah, he won the score uh, for Brokeback Mountain and uh, Babel. Uh, so, wow. 
But yeah, um, I'm sure they were because Brokeback Mountain, if I remember correctly, because it's been some time since I've seen that movie. Uh, so forgive me for the misrecollection. It also it has a more um, I don't want to say country, but it has a more folk leaning score, right? Like a folk American folk leaning score, right? For Brokeback Mountain. Uh yes, yeah, yes it does. It's mostly guitar. Uh, uh kind of folk music. So yes, that's uh pretty much what what he was doing. Um uh, but it works so well with the movie and with the themes that um I mean it is one of my favorites. Um probably not ten, but it is up there. Okay, so Alfie, so what about the cinema? So let's talk about the cinematography because this is not shot by uh, uh, Lucas. It's not shot by Lucas, you know, previous cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I'm not gonna butcher the name. I'm not gonna. I can't butcher the name. So we'll just. But we're gonna go with. So what did you think of the new guys? I work? think he because uh, he this I I believe he, this is his first film that he shot his first feature film. And I'm curious to see where, how, you know, that connection he, that Guadagnino did with now with his new cinematographer because he did such an incredible job um, of evoking the films that Guadagnino really wanted to give a callback to, but also, uh, you know, kind of making that merge between it being a romance and a horror movie and kind of using that sweeping visuals um, for the most horrifying sequences in the movie. And as well, um, I really love that Guadagnino did bring back the nightmare sequences that he uses uh, in Suspiria. Um, whereas it's just, you know, really um, fast cutting between uh, the character's memories, who the character who's having the nightmares. Um, that he uses so well in Suspiria, and I'm really happy that he brought it back. Um, it kind of like a director signature for him now, so I really hope that he gets to use that in the future. And and yeah, I really I really love that. Um, it felt it felt very warm. It's a movie that felt very warm, just the way that call, like Call Me by Your Name was. Because um, what I really like about Guaranino's films is that he's a very, um, I guess you could say he's a very sensual director because he he's always not only he's not only targeting your the visuals, uh, but he's always wants to put you in this place where these people are, kind of feel what you're feeling, kind of see what you're seeing, even kind of feel like kind of eat. Um, like feel what they're even eating or breathing or uh, how their emotions are kind of taking over them. And, uh, and I, I really love that. And I love that he, that is really his director's signature because um, he uses this very well in three, in, well, I would say including a bigger splash four films that are, are entirely different, but somehow you can tell that just by the visuals that all these movies are from the same person, even if, you know, he has different cinematographers and it looks uh, like a bit different. Um, still, you can still feel that. And, and I really like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's like his, like, he has a lot of signatures and he has a lot of signatures in here. 
and you see it all the way through and I will say though his next movie does have the same cinematographer as um, Suspiria and Call Me By Your Name like that guy is coming back yes I'm, um, I'm very excited for that because we'll see because I, I believe that he didn't shoot this one because I think he was shooting 13 lives or uh, for Ron Howard so that's why he didn't shoot this one. Uh, but I really hope that this guy, this new guy, he, even if he doesn't work, um, maybe if he, he could work with Guaranino again or, you know, with whoever else, I'm really hoping that I see mo more of his work in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And our, I mean, this guy, and, and he's been like very busy. Like he's had, he has two movies coming out in the same, um, he had two movies coming out this year, six characters and 13 lives. So he's just, yeah, so yeah, I mean, he was probably booked for this. Uh, he's probably two books for this. And I'm glad Luca found this uh, guy. Let me go back to his, um, uh, let me go back. Cause uh, let me go back. Our, I'm going to, okay. Our, our Cine, uh, Kachaturin, Kachaturin, excuse me. Uh, he was the one, like he, like he really did a great job. And also, like this movie looks and feels like something from the eighties and nineties. Like it looks, and that's what I love most about Luca's style is that it feels like Luca is bringing back the style that he's the most nostalgic of, which is the eighties. Uh, and bringing back that like look and feel and the graininess and of like you know 80s cinema or 70s avant-garde cinema that kind of thing like i you know especially a 70s cinema with bill fritkin movies like the french connection uh like bill like for yeah so i love so yeah i love the look of this movie it's very reminiscent and even when i saw the trailer it reminded me a lot of uh near dark already at that from the trailer so yeah uh okay so what is there anything else we can talk about with bones and all before we head out um well i i think the the only thing that i really wanted to mention as well because i really wanted to talk about the performances um especially taylor russell because um i've only really seen her in waves uh the uh trey edward schultz movie and she really made a huge impression in that film even if she wasn't the main character but now her being front and center, she really carries this movie and she really makes uh, a great um, scene. She, she has a great, a, a great chemistry with, uh, with Chalamet, but, but also she's able to keep, um, I guess, to keep up with a lot of the actors some of them which are really seasoned actors for example she uh i do think her she really keeps up a lot with mark rylance and even that little scene she has with chloe savigny and with um andrew uh, yes andrew holland and uh, uh oh my god what's her name uh from from the original suspiria um Oh, Jessica, uh, Harper. Jessica Harper, yes, who plays her 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 grandma? I guess it's her grandma, um, and she's able to keep up with all these really seasoned actors, and she really makes it makes she really takes over every scene that she's in. I would say she even overshadows Chalamet a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, but it, it works because Chalamet is playing the yeah. supporting here. Like he's playing. I mean, he is going to be the draw, or if there was a draw for this movie, he would be the draw for it because of stuff like Dune and Call Me by Your Name. Yeah, but but here it's Taylor's yeah, exactly. Movie. Yeah, so it yeah, is sorry. it is Marin's story, so. So yeah, I think uh, her having the most screen time, I think it's, you know, it's very fitting. And I love that it really focused more on her because, of course, uh, Lee also has its own character arc and story arc. But it really, it isn't as explored that much until like the very end. Uh, but I think it's it's necessary because it was, it was at the end of the day a Marin story. Right. Well, I mean, Lee has a story where it kind of, we learn more as we go along because Marin's the one discovering everything and so when we find out about Lee's past and we find out that he has done what Michael Stolberg's character has said you know bones and all as I do air quotes like he basically like it's implied very much that he he's I don't think he ever outright says it um correct me if I'm wrong um, but I think he heavily implies that he has bones and all his father yes like he's eaten his father. Yeah, I do. I I think it is very. Um, he he didn't he didn't say that outright that he ate him bones and all, but um, I do think that's who he was referring to. Because he did tell Michael Storberg that he had done that before once. Um, so I guess he is talking about his father too. And also, of course, coming to the end where he he is a uh, staff and he tells Marin to that he has to eat both of them bones and all to cover um you know cover up what's go- what happened so i do i do think that that he he did aid his father bones and all so he could cover that 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 he was um you know so his body wouldn't be found right absolutely yeah <clears throat> and and on top of that and it is tragic because I mean, and that's and it's such a tra- and Lee is such a tragic character in that way because you can infer to this like lineage of like generational trauma as well between the cannibals and their children and then the children that become cannibals in you know the eighties that you know we can infer that either his that his father was also probably a cannibal and drowning his alcoholism through you know another addiction which was his cannibalism and 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 it ultimately leads to timothy chalamet acting on his own cannibalistic cannibalistic identity to save him and his sister if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. so you have this inferred you know generational trauma that's just spreading and spreading and spreading and it's going to end when lee in the most unfortunate way. Yes, exactly. And it also comes around to Marin because, um, of course, she's, um, they're both from these broken homes. And, um, of course, Lee with his father, who <laughs> who he ate, but he also, you know, that he was very abusive. And then uh, with Marin, it comes around with her mom, who just kind of disappeared one day. Then we know why that she, because of, of her cannibalistic nature and that she was locked up in this uh, hospice and also with uh, Andrew Holland's character because at the end of the day he kind of uh, I think he says something uh, in the tape uh, in that he 
gives Marin where he says that he never really loved her as a father, but he kind of felt in a way, not obligated, but kind of, um, he felt the need to kind of protect her, even though he really didn't love her as, as a child, which is very sad. And I think it was something very cruel that he, I think he meant that in a good way, like as in saying that, uh, you know, he like kept up with her, but um, I think it was very, something very cruel to tell her in that tape. And of course, I mean, he, he, at the end of the day, he did ab abandon her in the moment that he, she needed her, him the most. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, for him not to, well, for him, it was also, you know, I, there's like, he's like been doing this for 18 years. He doesn't see another way. He doesn't see any other way to protect her the way they're going. Because it's always going to be this eventuality that, you know, she can't stop what she's doing. She can't stop being her. So it's both an abandonment, but also this weird acceptance as well. Like he's accepted who she is, but also, but also is like kicking her yeah. on the curb. So it's this weird double standard. Yes, because um, when he comes, you know, for example, with Chalamet's character, when he kind of, um, they show Lee and Marin kind of living together and having like this, I guess, normal life together. And you kind of think about it because you see Marin, who's very happy and having this normal life, and then you know, showing you that it was possible for her to be just a normal, a normal, regular person. And it kind of pains a little bit because uh, about it, uh, her dad kind of just went away. And now she's capable of having this normal life, even without him. But also uh, it kind of feels that he left her life for no reason. Because he was, he, she was ultimately able to have this normal life. Right. Well, I mean, and it's, and it's, and it is his fault because he never told her everything. So, and it's that you know whole like you know if she would have known who she was from the get go, could she have eventually controlled it? You know, with with him in the picture, but. You know, and then, but also it helps that Lee is there too. Also, like they're both like addicts recovering. Like it helps that the they're both addicts recovering, if you will. Yeah, and I guess there's the connection as well between them because uh, they're both in the same situation. While uh, Marin's father, he really there's a, a line that he says um, on the on the tape where he tells her about the story about the nanny that she ate, and he was kind of like. You know, I think you need to eat people, and I don't know why. I don't understand. And it's kind of implied that he, uh, um, well, not implied because um, I think in the letter that um, her mom wrote, it says that she didn't tell him as well about who she was. So he was really, he really was in the dark, and he thought that keeping Marin in the dark about it well, so kind of cure her of that, or maybe, um, you know, it kind of didn't. Uh, settle for him that it was something that it was like inst it, it, an instinct that she had and not something that she was doing on purpose yeah 
Well, I mean, even when we first see her eat the girl's fingers, it's this combination of hunger, but also erotic. Mm-hmm. Eroticism. Like, she's deriving both, like, you know, the or- endorphins from, that you get from eating, but also the the pleasure of of sexual, of sex, essentially. Yeah. Like, she's getting both mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, I guess it kind of speaking on, so, on like, purity or, or something like that. Because I do, because uh, yeah, he, Guardino does bring a compelling argument as well about that, you know, parents leaving their kids in the dark about certain stuff, uh, you know, like, about sex and things like that, and that ultimately would harm them for parents just to not tell them anything about it. So that might be as well something that Guadagnino might be trying to do, even in that starting from that very scene where she hits the girl's finger. Right. Well, I mean, and also, I mean, Wes Craven also did that same thing, too. Like, he, his movies were all about that as well. <clears throat> about the things that we keep, you know, that parents keep uh, from kids. So, I say we, like, I'm, no. But, I mean, like, but you get what I'm saying. Like, the, the things that, you know, are kept from us, you know, as children, you know, are the things that are going to harm us. And we don't have any protection because we don't know what it is. We don't know to run when we're thinking we should, you know, we should, you know, investigate. We don't know to completely run away. Is it, That's what I'm trying yeah, to Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think that, you know, Marin's father, he is really at fault in a certain way about what happened because he really kept her in the dark about everything about her mom and who she was, well, who she, who she, who she is. And um, that ultimately ended up harming her. Uh, in that way, because if I think if if her father had um, acknowledged this and kind of uh, told her about it, about that uh, her nature, she would have been able to be, you know, be more self-aware of it and kind of um, um, about it. Because uh, as Marin mentioned, when uh, when she was talking to Lee, that she hadn't really ate anything in years like she, she hadn't feed I, I guess making a reference to the nanny um but because because when that happened when with the, with the girl she was really shocked she was surprised she was really um it was something that she realizes that she was being kept in the dark this whole time and for that very moment for her father to abandon her it was really it was really terrible for her Absolutely. Right, absolutely. Um I'm trying to think what else is there uh what else is there is there anything else we can cover on Bones and All? Because it's an interesting movie, but I I also have seen it's been like two weeks since I've seen the movie, so Yeah, I mean I think I watched it like a week ago, but um I guess I would say I do think that Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria, I kind of thought more about those than this movie. Or they kind of stay, they kind of stayed in my mind for a lot longer. Um, so, uh, I didn't, so I do ultimately I do think this Bones and All isn't as good as Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria. I do think it is better than, than A Bigger Splash. Um, uh, but yeah, that I guess that would place it like in third place. Because uh, I mentioned, I think um, 
it's very its themes are very similar to to his two previous movies um and i think the call me by your name to spear did it a lot okay. better yeah i i agree i agree um i agree to a certain ex- i i agree all right um and and for me the fight if there is any more notes i can give um to Spiria, it's that, uh, or not Spiria, my gosh, to Bones and All, excuse me, Jesus, uh, to Bones and All is that it is a well-made movie, it is a well-done love story, and it is kind of a perfect trilogy capper if you started watching Guadagnino, um, with, um, Call Me By Your Name, and then you watch the Spiria, it is the perfect blending of those two movies but um i will also say it i i want to i want to see another look at guadagnino movie because I, this one was more challenging it was more challenging and also it was much more this i want to see more from this i want to keep seeing more from look at guadagnino because he's such a great filmmaker and i'm kind of glad that he got to make this kind of challenging love story because this isn't a story that's very easy to tell and it's not an easy road like it's not a movie you easily guide people through as a filmmaker um but i think what he but i think what he accomplishes here is uh i think it's the best you could do with this kind of story if that if that makes any sense Yeah, and I'm kind of happy that he really, he's really busy, he really works a lot, because, um, I mean, he's always signing on to projects that eventually might not happen, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, we already have one, he already has one in the can for next year, and um, he's prepping a new movie right now with Daniel Craig, and, I mean, I guess, I don't know if his Scarface remake will ever happen, but that will be really interesting. I really am curious about his Scarface movie, but, like, I really haven't, like, no one's talked about it since the pandemic, really. Or, that's how it feels to me. Like, no one's talked about it in, like, two or three years. Yeah, and I think that, it might actually don't. I I don't think it's gonna happen because he he did said um that Scarface was his next film when he was promoting We Are Who We Are, and then Bones and All came in and he did that and then he said okay now I'm doing Scarface and then he made Challengers and then he was like okay now I'm doing Scarface but now he's doing this new movie with Daniel Craig so. <laughs> So he's just kind of pushing it back. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, he was also supposed to do an adaptation of Lord of the Flies. Um, um, also, I believe he was adapting uh, one of Bob Dylan's albums that I think that was canceled. And um, a, lot, a lot of the projects, I think he was doing a movie with uh, with Jennifer Lawrence as well that also got, I don't know, canceled or it's in like development hell. So we'll see what he chooses to do. Yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, he's working with Zendaya um, right now. So, I mean, he's doing really good work. So, and I mean, he visited uh, Chalamet and Zendaya on the set of Dune 2 when they needed Zendaya's ADR work. So, 
Yeah. I mean, he's doing, like, he's always busy, always working. Uh, the pandemic kind of did slow everything down, even though his credits, like, between Suspiria and Bones and All, like, he's done a lot of work. I mean, you mentioned, you know, his uh, TV show, We Are Who We Are. Um, you meant, But he's also done, like, a bunch of shorts. He produced uh, a couple movies in the meantime. So, I mean, he's been... Yeah, and now he's got Challengers coming out, and like, and literally just as, you know, this weekend, um, he's working on a new, or he signed on to do um, a movie called Queer uh, with uh, Daniel Craig. So, yeah, it's all exciting stuff. I can't wait to see his next project. Um, okay. So, Alfie, if, unless you have any other uh, thoughts on Bones and All, um, where where can the good people find you uh well we're doing the uh usually daily <laughs> the uh movie rankings um on twitter and i mean everyone's uh allowed to join and we can talk about um any movies we do um a certain topic every day and we talk about that we make our top fives and yeah it's really fun so anyone who wants to join it's welcome absolutely um i'm all i'm on there most of the time um it's a lot of fun uh yeah and it's and alfie uh who's the co-host uh him and ryla and skadoosh they have a, they do uh they run a really good show over there so if you're ever on twitter uh come look for them um it's great stuff all right uh so the next podcast we will do um on andor the Star Wars show uh, that came out that <clears throat> finished its run last month, but we're finally now getting a chance to watch to discuss it. That'll be our next one, and then we will do Avatar, and then we will do uh, and then Babylon, and then uh, Alfie and I have a actually a Christmas special that's coming out on Christmas Day. We'll record it before Christmas Day, but uh, I we have a Christmas special coming up, so keep a lookout for that because that's going to be our surprise little Christmas episode. Uh, other than that, uh, thanks everyone for listening. We will be back with you guys uh, very very well, soon. Just as bad. Go 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 go. It's too much. We gotta do this. We have to do it. Been following me. We got unfinished business. You don't think I'm a bad person.